and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now... Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us today for another incredible episode. Hopefully, it's an inspiring episode, and it's going to be a little bit different than what we've done in the past. So if you've listened to any of our conversations, you know that I usually like to bring on someone unique and interesting and inspiring so that we can learn with them. And I love asking questions and I love listening to our guests and posing questions to them to get them to think and to get us to think about how we can intentionally set our mind to be our best. Occasionally, I come on here and I riff and I do an individual episode where I share what I'm thinking about. And what I'm inspired by in the hopes that it can do the same for you. And I just had an inspiring experience that I thought would hopefully make all of us think a little more about our own identity, our own values, our ancestors, and how those experiences and the experiences of our family members impact us and how we see the world today. And so I wrote a little bit and I'm going to share what I wrote And this is the best medium I know to share important, interesting, unique information. So my voice is a little hoarse, and I'll explain why that might be in a little bit. But I really hope that today is something that will make you think and inspire you to look inward and reflect on yourself. So what is this podcast episode about? At its core, I think it's about identity and how we use that identity to make a difference and make an impact in this world. So a bit about what I'm talking about. So I'm part of something called Cabinet, and Cabinet is housed in a nonprofit called Jewish Federation. And I'm telling you this because you need to know this part of the story to get to the identity piece that we'll unpack together today. So Cabinet brings together Jewish young leaders in their 30s and in their 40s so they can learn together, so they can connect and network with each other, and also so that they can give together. So Cabinet is a philanthropic arm of this Jewish Federation organization, and we pull our money together and give back to the Jewish Federation. 
what is the Jewish Federation? It's similar to the United Way. And the United Way was actually based and founded off of similar principles to the Jewish Federation. The Jewish Federation actually predates the United Way. And both the Jewish Federation and the United Way pool funds from their local community and then distribute it out to other nonprofits who are making an impact inside each of their communities. So you have this Jewish Federation system, which has a national branch and a local branch. And the national branch pulls together these leaders from all over North America so that once again, they can learn together so that they can connect with each other. And ultimately, they can continue their philanthropic mission and their philanthropic ways. So part of cabinet and the experience is that they create an opportunity to go on a mission. And the mission is essentially to go to other places all over the world and see the work that this Jewish Federation is doing in these countries and in these areas. So you can actually see where some of your dollars are going to work at these nonprofits that are doing incredible work on the ground. And I recently went on a trip that started in Riga, Latvia, and we spent about two days there and ended in Budapest, Hungary. And for the sake of today's conversation, I'm really going to focus on my experience in Budapest, Hungary, because that trip and that experience had me thinking deeply about my own identity and my own ancestry. So I'm going to share some of my experiences. uh, And it's really that trip, that experience in Hungary that led to me recording this podcast, because at the end of the trip, I had the opportunity to listen to a Holocaust survivor share what her experience was like in Hungary and the atrocities that she witnessed and experienced there. And while her story was absolutely inspiring, the person that actually inspired me the most was the young man that was sitting next to her as they spoke to 170 of us. His name is Gergo Borgas. And Gergo is a filmmaker, he's a director, he's in the theater space. He also works at the Jewish Community Center in Budapest. And Gergo really challenged me in a way that I hadn't been challenged before. And I'm going to share his story a little bit more as far as what he said to me that caused me to fire up this microphone and share with all of you. In addition to Gergo, at the end of our trip, we're often encouraged to share our reflections. And for me, I like to write. I like to write down some of my thoughts and and gather my thoughts. And so I had written some reflections prior to this exercise of sharing reflections. And I ended up sharing what I had written down with a small group of, of colleagues. And so I'm going to share my reflections with you. And then we'll bring it back to Gergo and we'll bring it back to um, how this applies to you in your life. So here are the reflections. When I was nine years old, my family went on a trip to Yellowstone National Park. While there, my parents posed a question to me and my two brothers. They asked, what would you do if you were able to spend time with Adolf Hitler? And that question was asked with the idea of there are no consequences and you're able to spend time with him today. So they asked that question and I believe I gave some sort of barbaric answer around torturing him. And I I remember thinking about, ah, I'd probably want to like torture him or, or something barbaric. But the truth was I didn't really have a good answer then. And in my reflection over the past 30 years, I never really had a great answer for him. And I was thinking about that question as I was touring Budapest, Hungary. So a bit more context. 
From a young age, my parents asked philosophical questions when we were on vacation. It was quite normal. And while the Hitler question was different, it wasn't out of the ordinary for them to challenge us to think critically. It's one of the best gifts I think my parents gave me and my brothers was the capacity and the ability to think critically and to have convictions in some of our thoughts and to stay curious about those convictions. But the Hitler question, it really did stick in my memory because of the emotion it elicited from from my family. It, It felt more personal for us when that question was posed. You see, my grandma Irene survived the Holocaust. When I was a kid, she didn't talk about what she experienced often. We would go to her for a book report or, or to try to learn more about someone unique or interesting, and we'd like to get more context from her. I remember she went to my older brother's school and spoke, but generally it wasn't like we were at dinner and she was all of a sudden talking about the Holocaust, or it wasn't as if she was taking us to hit golf balls on the driving range and she would also talk about Hitler. So it, it was a very normal childhood. Um, it wasn't that she was necessarily unwilling. It just wasn't something she was focused on communicating with her grandkids. When she did talk about her experience, it was mainly about how grateful she was to be in America and to have the family she had. She was madly in love with my grandpa, Max. She would talk about loving him and they had a beautiful relationship. And it always seemed as though she was focused more on the present and the future than the past. My grandma died four and a half years ago, and and I had the opportunity to eulogize her, and my brothers did as well. And at her funeral, my parents showed a moving video that captured her experience with the Holocaust. It's pretty amazing. Uh, University of Southern California has something called the Shoah Project, where they interview a lot of Holocaust survivors and capture their stories. And we're fortunate that we actually have the link to her story. If you're interested in, in watching that, you can shoot me an email and I'll send you the link. My email is brian at strongskills.co uh, and I'm happy to, to share her story from her perspective with you. But I'd also like to share a little bit more about her journey and how it's impacted me over the course of my time in Budapest, Hungary, which I went to a week ago. So my grandma was born on June 7th, 1927 in Debrecen, Hungary. Debrecen's about two and a half hours outside of Budapest. And she was the youngest of five. And by all accounts, she had a relatively normal childhood. However, in 1944, the Nazis entered Debrecen and things changed drastically. Hungarian Jews had to wear yellow stars on their clothes. While we were in uh, Budapest, the woman that was the survivor actually showed a yellow star that she had. It was pretty remarkable to see it, uh, and it was was pretty frightening, to be honest. Uh, But back to my grandma. Uh, My grandma and her mother were taken to the Debrecen ghetto, where they lived with four other families in an apartment. Uh, She experienced harassment, a three-day trip in a cattle car as she was transferred to an Australian, Austrian labor camp, and she was separated from her four other siblings. My grandma and her parents were, they were the lucky ones in Hungary. As I mentioned, Hungary has had a population of 800,000 Jews living in that country at a time. It was a big part of the population of a relatively small country, and 600,000 of them perished. So she was one of the 200,000 that actually survived uh, the labor camp. Uh, And when she survived the labor camp, she walked back to her home from Austria to Debrecen, Hungary, where they stayed there for about a year. So they stayed in Debrecen for about a year. And, And from there, my grandma was able to board the first boat that brought children to the U.S., And she went to the U.S. by herself 
And as she arrived in New York, she reunited with her sister, Margaret, who I knew growing up, uh, who had been fortunate enough to get out of Hungary before the war broke out. And her parents stayed behind and later moved to Israel, where one of her other brothers also moved. And I want to pause here to just say, I think another interesting piece here is that, you know, my grandma was able to really assimilate into the United States. Uh, my grandpa was from Brooklyn, and she really lived a, 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 the American dream in a lot of ways. And her gratitude for America could be seen throughout my life. And one of the stories that always stuck with me about grandma was upon arriving in New York and seeing the Statue of Liberty, uh, a soldier turned to her and said, you have no idea how happy I am to see that lady again. To which my grandma replied, no, sir, you have no idea how happy I am to see her. So my grandma always had this strong pride for America and honestly didn't have any love lost for Hungary. While we were in Budapest, a lot of the Hungarians would talk about how Hungary had blood on its hands as well and how they sort of opened the door for Hitler to come in and do what he did. I think it's a good reminder that all of us have the opportunity to stand up against hate and we're complicit when we don't. We have an opportunity and we need to stand up when we see it. And if we don't, in a lot of ways, we're no better off than the people that actually commit the crime. And so that was a constant theme while I was in Hungary. The Hungarian people wanted to really acknowledge the role that they played in opening up their doors and being an ally to Hitler. Back to grandma. So she always talked about how lucky she was, how grateful she was to be in a country like the United States. Beyond her sister, she also had three brothers, one of which I mentioned earlier. But the other two, I'll start with Laszlo. Laszlo was married and living outside Budapest with four children. And I found out prior to this trip that my grandma would come visit uh, Budapest in the summertime and attend Shabbat services in the great synagogue in Budapest, which was a synagogue that we actually went and visited while we were visiting Budapest. It is gorgeous. It's a beautiful place. And she'd often tell my mom how magnificent that synagogue was. Unfortunately, her brother Laszlo wasn't as fortunate as his sister Margaret and my grandma Irene. He perished two days prior to liberation in 1944. His wife and children were sent to Auschwitz to die. My grandma's older brother also perished. Fortunately, as I mentioned, her third brother, Mordechai, was able to move to Israel and my family often breaks bread with our cousins, which is his family, when we visit Israel as well. I've known pieces of this story for some time. It's always been part of my identity. My grandma, as I mentioned, passed away four and a half years ago. And when I eulogized her, it was all about how she saw the world in a glass half full way, how much she was optimistic. She was a special woman for a lot of reasons, but really she was just your typical Jewish grandma. She'd spoil us, dote on us, babysit, cook. I played dominoes with her all the time. I can remember smelling the French fries she'd make in her house. Um, and I knew that she often held events to raise money for an organization called Hadassah. So she was really the first philanthropist that I ever witnessed and knew. And I can remember my mom saying, I'm going to support grandma at an event for Hadassah. A bit about Hadassah, they're a volunteer organization that uses passion and commitment 
to Israel and the future of Israel through education, advocacy, and youth development. Uh, they support with medical care and research, uh, and they're really an organization that was near and dear to my grandma's heart. And so I would witness her giving back and specifically giving back to her people, which at, th- at that time I didn't really think much of, but I definitely was thinking about on my trip to Hungary. And when I heard that cabinet was going to Hungary, they, they choose these trips and go all over the world. So they've gone to Russia, they've gone to Morocco, they've gone to Israel, they've gone to Spain. They're constantly going to different places all over the world. Uh, but when I found out they were going to Hungary, I signed up immediately. I knew it'd be an incredible trip. And I'd been itching to go on one of these missions that I hadn't been able to attend up until this point. But what I wasn't expecting was for my trip to Hungary to be accompanied by so much emotion. I felt emotion from the moment I landed in Hungary. I cried my way through Hungary. Some of those tears were tears of pride. Some of those tears were tears of sorrow. Some of those tears were tears of joy. And some of those tears were tears of anger. They say that trauma lives in the body. Well, I've lived a ridiculously privileged life with very little trauma. Perhaps my grandma's trauma and what she experienced was pouring out of me as I walked the streets of Hungary. It wasn't just on the streets, though. I cried while looking out my window in rural Hungary as I thought about her experience in a cattle car and potentially looking out the window at the same sights I was. I cried while in the great synagogue as I mentioned earlier, in Budapest, which is one of the most beautiful religious buildings I've ever been in, as I thought about the possibility of looking at the same gorgeous ceiling that she did. I cried in the shower. If you've ever been through something difficult in your life, the shower is a reprieve. No one's there. It's just you and the water, and the tears flow seamlessly down your body and into the drain. I cried on Shabbat as I closed my eyes and prayed. I cried at the Jewish Community Center as I learned about Hungarian Jews supporting each other. I cried at the Shoe Memorial on the Danube River, where we brought roses to acknowledge and to remember those that were ruthlessly murdered alongside the river and whose bodies were tossed overboard. I cried at Camp Sharvash. Sharvash is one of the most amazing places we went to. It's a summer camp that brings together Jews from all over the world so they can be together, learn together, connect with each other. For many of them, it's the first opportunity to learn Jewish traditions that they might be afraid to experience in their hometown. But while we were there, it was hosting Ukrainian refugees to give them a reprieve from the war. There, we listened to Ukrainian mothers and daughters share the horrors of war. It was impossible to not have tears flow down my cheek. I cried at the Holocaust Museum as I saw the names of my grandma's brothers listed with thousands of others, many of whom shared the same name. It's crazy because I was looking for their names and the amount of people that shared their names on the wall, it just kept going and going. I cried while reflecting and writing notes about my experience. There were so many tears that were shed. Life can be sad, hard, and emotional. Perhaps we all need to lean into those emotions to ensure we're doing everything we can to leave this world better than how we found it. My grandma said that the Holocaust turned people into survival of the fittest. 
She witnessed people at their worst. She saw the worst of humanity from her Hungarian community, which is part of why she had no love lost for the country. She loved America. She didn't want to come to Hungary. But I couldn't help but cry as I thought about how proud she would be to witness what is going on there. She'd be blown away by the young people who are now teaching and helping the older generation to reconnect with their Judaism without fear. So many of their older generation, their grandparents, the parents there are scared to practice Judaism. And you have these people in their 20s and their 30s that are telling them it's okay to be you. It's okay to practice what you want to practice and to be who you want to be. It's a message for all of us. We must never forget what happened. And we must never forget that we are a team. We must support each other, have perspective on what can happen if we don't. And when I say a team, I'm referring not just to the Jews. I mean all of humanity, all of it. Certainly we need to take care of our own but we need to think about the atrocities that occur to people that don't look like us, that don't practice what we practice, that don't sound like us. When we start to do that, that's when we can make this world better. So as I was preparing to leave Hungary, I was reflecting on what to do with all of the tears that I was having. I was not expecting those tears. People will look at me sometimes and be like, why are you crying? Did something happen? I was like, that's kind of complicated. And so I dedicated myself to coming back home. And as I enter this comfortable and privileged life and I get back into the swing of my job and this podcast and writing my newsletter. I believe it's so important that that life should be enjoyed and lived with gratitude and in the present and and I do believe in enjoying the fruits of what we earn or or the life that we want to live and, and having joy in our life. I think that's so so important. We only have so much time on this earth. But I also know I can hold more space than just joy. I need to carry some of my grandma's trauma with me. It will help me step up and step out against inhumanity. I don't want to just leave my tears in Hungary, and I won't. So back to my parents' question of what I would do to Hitler if he was alive today. I think I've come up with an answer. I'd take him on a week-long tour of Hungary with all of my colleagues, the 175 of us that were together. And not because listening to them complain about food and schedules and bus rides and hotel rooms and a lack of sleep is so torturous. And the complaining got a bit old when you travel with 175 other people. But I would show him how those 175 young Jewish leaders are thriving as a people and how we are helping others like us begin to do the same. If you are thriving, you have a responsibility to go pour into somebody else. If you're just thriving for yourself, I would argue that's not a meaningful life. And when I think back to Hitler, I'm not sure he would be able to handle 175 Jews going back to Hungary where they're serving and they're helping and they're thinking about ways to continue to make this world better. I'm not sure he would have been able to handle that. And I want him to see all of it. But the truth is, the trip to Hungary was not about Hitler. It was about us. Humanity, Jews, people, my grandma. We're a resilient bunch. And we're not going anywhere. When my grandma was interviewed for Spielberg's Shower Project, 
She said clearly and confidently, Hitler did not succeed. She thought about that every time her grandkids were barbat mitzvahed. It was in that same interview where she said about her grandkids, I hope they learn more about what happened and can fully understand it. I hope I'm doing that this week as I traveled Hungary. I hope that I'm learning and I'm fully understanding what she went through. And I hope I'm sharing it with you in the hopes that you can start to understand what our society and what humans are capable of. We all have to understand the darkness of humans. We cannot be blind to it. I wish my grandma could witness what my group went through and know that Hitler did not succeed and he will not succeed. And I think if my grandma were listening to this, she'd cry a bit. and Perhaps that would be most appropriate. So those were my reflections. I wrote them down. I edited them a little bit for the podcast. And so you might be wondering, like, why are you posting this podcast? Why share it? And I'm going to go back to that young man named Gergo. He said something when he met with our group. He said, we all have to co-own our stories of the past. Maybe some of those stories are beautiful. Maybe some of them are sad. Maybe some of them are stories of pride. Maybe some of them are stories of guilt. But we have to co-own the stories of our past. And as I think about my life, I'll be 39 in a month. I don't know how much I've co-owned my grandma's story. I didn't feel like it was my place to do so. But after going to Hungary, I feel an obligation to co-own her story a bit. And I'm going to continue doing so going forward. So as I reflect on my reflections and think about this podcast, I'm hoping to challenge you to reflect on your identity. How did you get here? Who helped you? Who impacts you, whether it's consciously or subconsciously? What are you carrying? What do you value? Where do those values come from? We're all an amalgamation of our DNA and our experiences. But our stories, our ancestors are inside of us. We carry them with us. We all have a nature and nurture story. And sometimes maybe we over-index our focus on the nature and sometimes we over-index on the nurture. But they both matter. So I'd like to challenge you. I'd like to challenge you to reflect on who you are your history, your identity, and how that impacts your decisions today. I'd like to challenge you to do some deep work and reflect on who you are and how you got here. Retrace your steps. Go learn about it. Go find out who you are and how you became you. Do you have your story or does your story have you? We can't ignore history. We can't ignore how we got here. The journey matters. Our values are often passed down through the generations. And my grandma's values are part of me. Yours are too. We must learn their stories. We must share them. And of course, we must create new stories, new memories, new generations, new values, new ways of seeing the world so that we can make this place better. So with that, I'd like to close with my grandma Irene sharing some wisdom that she shared with me, my family, 
and anyone else who is interested in her story. Here's Grandma Irene. Thanks for listening. And Hitler tried his best, but you know what? When I look at my children, and I look at my grandchildren, and I attend their bar, bat mitzvahs or bar mitzvahs, I always think of that. Hitler did not succeed. Because those of us who survived, we have families, we have children and grandchildren, and life is good. He did not succeed. Because the few of us who survived, they certainly uh, go on, make good lives, become contributing citizens of the country they live in, and we really, it's just wonderful. And of course, now I'm a very patriotic American. <laughs> Very much so. I love this country. It's been so good to me.